I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Internet Marketing. Welcome to the show where we give you the lowdown, the inside information and the word from the experts to help you use the internet as part of your marketing machine. Internet marketing is brought to you by AI Digital at www.ai-digital.com. And in episode 56, our pre-Christmas episode, the 12 internet marketing tools of Christmas, plus an interview with Ian Oswald, author of The Screencasting Handbook, with an update on screencasting techniques for internet marketers. All coming up on Internet Marketing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 56 of Internet Marketing, our last episode before Christmas, and I am joined today by Mr. Kelvin Newman. Hello, how are you doing? All right? Yes, thank you very much. I'm absolutely fine, Kelvin. And how are you? Pretty good, pretty good. A bit worried about the impending snow it looks like we're going to be getting down here in brighton which oh, yeah. to anyone around the world where they get lots of snow um like half a millimeter of snow around here is considered like a you know national emergency <laughs> the fact that there might be you know slightly some hail is got everyone very much panicked so um, yeah. we'll we'll wait and see with bated breath whether we can walk out of the office or whether we've got like half an inch of snow out there later potentially but so, the, the, the idea of a, of a white christmas is very appealing i have to say yeah, no, it doesn't happen very often, but um, it feel, you know it would make it feel even more Christmassy um, in the office. Mm. I mean, already I'm putting on the David Hasselhoff Christmas album, and that doesn't seem to be getting everyone in the Christmas mood. So <laughs> maybe some snow could help on that. <laughs> and uh, talking of Christmas, uh, in today's show we have the uh, the twelve marketing tool- tools of Christmas from Calvin. Any second now, and we have an interview that I did with Mr. Ian Oswald. We have interviewed him before on Internet Marketing, I think over a year ago now. Ian, of course, is the expert on screen casting and how screen casting can be used in your marketing activities. So an update from Ian later in the show. But first, Kelvin. The 12 yes. marketing tools or internet marketing tools of, of, of Christmas, what have you got? Yeah, well, basically, there's so many great tools out there that can make uh, someone who's doing internet marketing's life so much easier. But the problem with them is is that you don't know if they're any good, you don't know how you can use them, you, you know, and all those kind of things. Mm. So what I've done is I've kind of compiled a festive 12 of um, those that I've used over the past year that I think are really useful, um, that, you know, people, some of them you might already know, but don't know that you could use them this way or you might not have heard of them in the past so um yeah i'll dive straight in with the first one and this one's been around for years and it's google's custom search engine um tool which allows you to compile a list of sites 
um, and then only search within those sites. So then they'll Google index all those sites and you can um, search within them. So there's some pretty interesting things you can do with that. So for example, fairly recently we found a you know a network of blogs um, that that had no followed comments on them. Um, and so we then put all these you know, um, blogs that fell into that category into this custom search engine mm. and then we could search for keywords. So we could then find, okay, is there a blog post about podcasting? And then I could then find that blog post about podcasting, have a read through it. And if I think that there's a comment I can add that will add value to that discussion, I can comment, leave a link to the Internet Marketing Podcast and that has an SEO benefit. Um, all the usual rules of commenting apply here. Don't leave a comment that spam, you know, only add where you can add value. But what you know what we were able to do with this custom search engine is find the websites that had no followed links that were talking about topics that would benefit us. But you can do it for any kind of things, really, as well. You can kind of put, um, like, there's another one I've been working on um, recently where there's a blog role on search engine land, and they're, they're, basically this is a list of the 500 best SEO blogs in, in the world. So I've then inputted all these in as the you know, websites to include in this index, but exclude any other website. Mm. So then I know if I search for, you know, real-time search in this custom search engine, I know I'm only going to get results from really good websites. So websites that I trust and know that what they're talking about is going to be of some value. But you can okay. do that for any kind of things, really. You know, you could, you could do it for your Twitter followers or anything, really, where there's a group of sites where you only want to search those. So, so let, me get, really let me get this right, uh, Calvin. Can you basically put the, put the little search box on any sites you want? Yeah, basically, Google allow you on their little servers mm. your own little search engine, but rather than being the whole web, you choose only those which are included in that. So index. you could basically use Google to do the search for your website. Oh, yeah, you can do all that. Yeah, yeah they've got all yeah. that kind of things as well. But it's it's kind of quite useful as a research tool as well. So it's that yeah. kind of, I don't want to look at all of the web. I only want to look at this this little, you know, slice of the web. Yeah, yeah you, you, you can cone it down to certain websites. Yeah, yeah, so you could do that. So yeah. it could be just those that, um, you know, anything that you've got a list of websites, you can input that into a custom search engine and only search within those. So it's a bit like doing, the, you know, the, where you put site colon, mm. um, you know, bbc.co.uk um, and then search, and that would only search the BBC site. But you can do that, but for potentially thousands of sites. Interesting. But, um, but still restrictive. So, yeah, some really interesting things and worth having to think about what you can do with that. So that's one we've played about with quite a bit over the last couple of months that I recommend people have a look into. It's a bit old news now, but it's still really valuable and some really clever things you can do with it if you're inventive. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? These things move so quickly that you kind of forget about the older stuff. Um, laughingly, we say older stuff, stuff that was like over a year, a year old or something, two years old. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it's still as valuable as it was. Just because it's not new news doesn't mean that it doesn't have a use in you know, your internet marketing mm. techniques. So, yeah, next up is one called Majestic SEO, which I don't think we've mentioned particularly um, on the show before, but it's actually a really powerful tool. And what, what it, how Majestic SEO started out mm. was they were building their own open source competitor of Google, right? So they kind of yeah. built an open source spider, and they were going around spidering every page of the, the web. Well, that search engine is kind of doing okay, but they needed to make some money in the meantime to pay for all the you know spidering that they're doing. So they've... Re- released an seo tool which um shows the links between websites yep. but what's interesting about majestic seo is it's kind of written with an seo viewpoint in mind it it tracks more links than yahoo site explorer does so it has the biggest index of links anywhere in on the web and um 
you know, it shows the connections between them, makes some value judgments on which ones are passing value and all that kind of thing. All very useful. But the one thing that really is brilliant about Majestic SEO is you can put in um, a web address into their, you know, search box. And um, so I could put in internetmarketingpodcast.org and it would show me over a period of time how many links that site has acquired. Mm. So you can then look at the velocity of links that they've been getting because you could have say you're doing SEO for your website um, acmewidgets.com and you've only got 100 links but you've got 100 links over the past 6 months you go to your competitor you know acmebluewidgets.com and they've got 1000 links but they're going down yeah from google's point of view the one that's gaining the links there is actually probably more relevant more topical more of interest than the one that's got more links but is declining because I, you know, I've not got an acronym for it in the way Helen normally would, but there's when I'm looking at link building, there's four things I'm looking to try and achieve with your link building. Mm. One is to build authority. One is to build anchor text that's got keywords in. One is to build the absolute volume. But the final one is the velocity, the rate at which you're gaining those links. Because actually you can be not doing so well in those other three, but if you're gaining them at the right rate, mm. Google will cut you a lot of slack there. Interesting. I never thought of velocity of inbound links before. Yeah, no, it's it's. I, I think it's a really important ranking factor, and mm. you know, Majestic is brilliant for showing you relatively how your velocity is doing. So yeah, have a look at that. And it, I mean, it's even quite interesting to look and see. You know, you've been doing your various link building campaigns, and sometimes you can forget what's been effective. But if you look at that and say, oh well, in June we shut up quite drastically. That's when I did that white paper. Maybe mm. I should do some more of those. You know, it's that kind of um, level of insight that's quite interesting as well. Sure. So that's majestic. Is there a URL for that, uh, Calvin? Um, I'll, I'll send across um, and include in the show notes all of them. I think it's just majesticseo.com, but I will okay. double check on, on that one. If you Google Majestic SEO, it will come up, but I'll make sure in the show notes we've got links for all, all 12 of um, the, these tools. Yeah. So, yeah, the next, next just, one. Sorry, Calvin, just before oh, yeah. we go on to the third one, uh, just yep. just reiterate to the, to the listeners uh, that there is a URL people can go to, isn't there, at the moment, uh, if they want to have a look at show notes and things. Is it still internetmarketingpodcast.com? Yeah, .org. .org, I internetmarketingpodcast.org, that will yeah. redirect you um, to an area of the site visibility blog which only has the podcast there. Okay. So you'll be able to download any of them, but if you're listening to this, you can already download it, so we'll, we'll kind of ignore the fact that anyone can download it. But also... There's a blog post for each show, which has all the show notes there, and they're all hyperlinked through wherever yep. we reference something. So okay. I know that a lot of people listen when they're in the car mm. and then want to check out the tools later or when they're on the train. Yeah, go, go to internetmarketingpodcast.org and you'll be able to get all the show notes there and the links through to all the websites. So that's the home for the podcast on the web for the time being. I know we're going to make it slightly yeah. easier than that in the future, aren't we? But that's where it is at the yeah, time being. Yeah, yeah, that just looks the same as a normal blog. You know, we'll try and make it a bit more podcast specific in the future but we wanted to make sure that there was one place where everyone yeah. could get the show notes. so that's yeah internetmarketingpodcast.org yes right number three yes um, I've gone on about this a few times in the past um, on the podcast and that's because I think it's such a brilliant tool which is Google Insights for Search and this is again something that shows you trends over time but it shows you search volume trends over time so you can put in any keyword or any series of keywords and look at where they're doing very well mm. so for example um if you know this being christmas there's certain products which are going to have increased in popularity over christmas but they're not always things that are obvious like people searching for christmas or christmas tree they can be particular products so you know a good example is you know 
I was surprised on a little side project I've got. I suddenly started getting a load more traffic around hair straighteners. And I was like, well, what, why am I getting more traffic around hair straighteners? I wouldn't have thought that there was a huge trend here. Mm. But then actually it transpires lots of people are buying them as a Christmas present. But whenever you're looking to target a keyword, I recommend putting it in Google Insights for search and seeing when the seasonal peaks are. Because it might well be that actually... Um, when you're looking at the volumes now, it's like very low, but actually no one searches around this time of year. They all search in Jan- um, June or January or whenever it is that people are searching. And you can compare terms relatively. So I could put in um, hair straighteners and hair dryers, say if I'm an online retailer selling those kind of things, and I can see when the peaks in demand is, but relatively how popular they are as well. They don't give you exact numbers in terms of, um, you know, you will get 10,000 visits if you rank on this term. But mm. they do show you relative popularity there. And I think that's really good for looking at it, particularly if you, you know, a problem you occasionally get that we get for clients is they're ranking really well for a keyword. They're, you know, number one, number two, and they're, they're, they've stayed there statically. But actually, their search engine traffic's not heading in the direction they would like because either stayed static or decline slightly and they're like well our rankings are doing well why aren't we getting the people coming through to the site to actually visit and quite often you can see that there might be a terminal decline in the number of people searching for that term and you sometimes can't appreciate that unless you look at this kind of search data that google have got sure, you yeah. can you can drill it down by country so you can say okay well um here's all the you know i only want to look at the people in the uk i only want to look at the people in australia or any of the people in the states or you can look at worldwide but it yeah it's a you know it's amazing for looking and seeing, you know, what's happening with your search terms. It's this temporal thing again, isn't it? The, the importance of timing, uh, yeah. sort of, uh, whether it be seasonal or just a general trend. Yeah, I mean, you can't underestimate that. You know, you, you don't expect everything, you know, things vary over time, don't they? You know, in mm. a normal business, if you've got a shop, you have busy months, you have quiet months, you know, it's the same for any kind of business. It's the same for search terms. You know, people will search in, you know, particular periods of time for particular things, you know, and if you can coincide your success with that, i.e. do your piece of um, viral content around the time when people are looking for that kind of content or you start your link building three months before the peak because you know that it'll take three months for your link building to drop through or mm. you know to save your pay-per-click when you even simple stuff like okay i've got you know a thousand pounds to spend on pay-per-click um per month but no one searches in february then you want to move that money around into a month when people are searching yeah definitely brilliant one and the next one up is yahoo pipes and this is kind of a hu- huge um, tool that you can use but what it allows you to do is kind of it's a visual flow chart way of doing some quite complicated programming and if you're like me and you're rubbish at programming it's a godsend what, what does it do kelvin well it kind of allows you to do some various kind of filtering type things so the, the main way that i use it is i can get several rss feeds combine them I could search those RSS feeds and then I can output them as another RSS. So to give you a good example, I'll include in the show notes a a link to this, but there's a blog post we did in the past where I know on Yahoo Answers people might be talking about me, but I don't want to go and check every day to see if they are. So what I I did there is I took a feed of um, a a couple of sections of the Yahoo Answers site, Mm. um, put them all in, combined those feeds, and then searched them for my keyword. So, you know, I could set one up that said, okay, well, I want to look in the marketing section, I want to look in the internet marketing section, and I want to look in the entertainment section. I combine all those questions together, mm. and then I search for the word podcast. Okay. And whenever someone says podcast, that then goes to an RSS feed, um, 
which tells me someone's asking about podcasts and then I can have a look at that question and see if there's actually an opportunity for me to kind of add my opinion on that and you can do that for any number of keywords and there's lots of, that's just one basic way that I've used it but it's great that you can combine feeds or you can extract feeds and it's yeah. kind of a great way to you know program around feeds if you're not a programmer. So it's all based around feeds is it Kelvin? Um, yeah, that's, or you, it can pull content from sites kind of in a, a bit right. more of a scrapey, non-RSS um, content. I, I've spent hours with it and, you know, I've only begun to scrape the surface of the things you can mm. do with it. And I think it's really underappreciated as a tool in terms of, particularly if you kind of, you know, if you're kind of one of those creative people who don't necessarily know how to, you know, work with APIs or work with fees, but you've got an idea for something you want to try and do, have a look at Yahoo Pipes because there's a good chance it might be able to help you do it. And there's some They've, on the site, they've got examples of other people's pipes that you can use or mm. that you can edit and use to 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 bake, um, to bake your own. Interesting. Now, I'm, I see. I'm interested in that purely from a aggregating RSS feeds together standpoint. Well, even in the simple sense that it could be okay. I don't want you know in my Google Reader account to have 700 feeds. I only want to have two. You know, mm. you can do that. It combines them all together. You don't care where they come from as long as you can read through them. Mm. You know, or for brand, you know, brand online reputation monitoring so i kind of want to know okay because you could make a great online reputation tool using yahoo pipe so you go okay well i've got twitter search that has an rss feed i've got yahoo answer search that's got an rss feed i've got this forum search it's got an rss feed you combine all of them together and then mm. output that as one you know um brand awareness um rss feed now, see, I learned in the last few days because I was doing some work for a client and this client wanted, um, he had a blog and he wanted it so that whenever he did a blog post, it would also appear on his Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And I, have a, I had a devil of a time trying to do this. I, I had a devil of a, try, a time trying to find something that would actually write to, a, to a, a Facebook page as opposed to a profile. And eventually I found out how to do it. And basically a Facebook page has a thing called Notes. And notes can be automatically generated from an RSS feed. You have to dig down a bit to find it. But this Google Pipes would be a quite nice way of doing it because if you wanted it to be based on not just a blog but maybe also a podcast as well, for example, or or more than one RSS feed, maybe you could use uh, Yahoo Pipes to combine them and then send that into the notes on Facebook. Just yeah, a no, definitely. No, that's a good way of doing it. Yeah, no, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, there's some interesting ways of trying to get your content into Facebook, and I know it's not always as straightforward as it should be. So that no. sounds like sounds like it's a, a good find there, Andy, on your your point of view of how how you can do that. But definitely, what's number five? It's called Feed My Inbox, which follows in quite nicely from the Yahoo Pipes one. Um, it's an RSS widget again, but basically. So did it say Feed Mind Box? No, Feed My Inbox. Feed so, My Inbox. Okay. Yeah, and what this does is. You know, there's certain things that you're going to want to get on an email rather than in an RSS feed because to check your RSS feed, you have to log into your reader, you have to read through stuff. Whereas actually, a lot of the time, you kind of want something just to appear in your in your um, inbox. Mm. The way that I've used this internally is at site visibility, we've got a delicious account where anything that we think the rest of the team should be interested in, we tag using a certain keyword, um, and that then there's an RSS feed off that. But trying to get everyone in the office to go and check that RSS feed or sign up to it in their subscriber or they might not actually use RSS is really difficult. So what I wanted to do was get that to come to everyone's email address. So they get like a little site visibility newsletter just of stuff that other people in the team have thought was interesting. Um, and to do that, 
you, you just use this tool called Feed My Inbox. It's really simple. You go to the site, you put in your email address, you put in the address of an RSS feed, yep. and it sends it to you via email. Not complicated, not special, Brilliant. but just you know something that kind of is quite handy. So it's basically an RSS to email converter. Yeah, and it works really pretty reliably as well. You know, because I've used a few in the past and they've been a bit hit and miss, as it were. But this one seems mm. to really work quite well. And I've used that over the last six months, and you know, never missed a beat really. Brilliant. So that's Feed My Inbox. Yep. Yeah, I think that is just feedmyinbox.com. Again, I'll send the notes. You know, that'll be on the show yeah, notes. Yeah, we'll put links um, in the show notes. Cool. Um, yeah, next one is um, SEO Book, which is a really good website about SEO. They've got their toolbar, like a Firefox toolbar. And I can't have a browser set up anywhere without having this toolbar in it. I can't recommend this one highly enough. It gives you some great information on on any page that you're on. So it'll tell you the page rank of that page. You know, really good in its own right. It um, automatically, for that page, tells you how many people are linking to that website as a whole, mm-hmm. how many people are linking to that page. Um, so you can tell, like, okay, well, this site gets a million links, but actually only two people have linked to this page, so that, you know, that page isn't very popular. Mm-hmm. It takes you through to that majestic SEO report that I was talking about. So you hit oh, yeah. that, and it automatically queries. Lots of other things it tells you as well. It tells you the compete score, so how many people are there. It, you can hit a button, and it shows you what links are they followed. Um, it you know, allows you to check the search engine rankings of those. But, you know, it's really, really quite powerful what it'll tell you to do. I mean, I use it just for the, the, the page rank and link counts. Um, mm. But everything else it tells you is really quite valuable as well. So it's a re- really good way to make an assessment of how good a page is when you visit it. So if you're looking at your competitors, you know why they're ranking well or why they're not ranking well. Or are they not doing very well on SEO, but they still get tons of traffic. And then you can yeah. kind of work out what they're doing to, to do that. Does it, uh, you say it's a toolbar, Kelvin, is that right? Yes, yes. At the moment, um, I think it's only for Firefox, but I think okay. I would, would imagine there'll be one coming soon for Chrome if there isn't already. What about IE? Do you use IE, Andy? No, IE normally steer well clear of it. Yeah, no, I mean, I can understand if you're in, a, in an office where you, you have to use a particular piece of software, you would use IE, but if you get any choice in the matter whatsoever, um, go for uh, Firefox or Chrome. The number of plugins yeah. and extras that you can get with it just make it so much easier. You know, ignoring any like all Microsoft or Evil stuff, I, I don't get into that. I just go with what makes my life most useful. Yep. The plugins you get in Firefox are just tons better. Chrome is so much quicker, so I go for one of those two. Or if I'm on the Mac, I use Safari or Firefox. Yeah, sure. Okay, number seven. Number seven, yeah, another um, feed-related one, which I didn't realise we noticed this all, but there's actually a bit of a theme there. This one's called Twitter Feed. I think it might have helped with your um, Facebook query you were dealing with. But essentially, this started out as a site that you put in your RSS feed yep. and your Twitter account, and it'll automatically tweet anything from that RSS feed to that Twitter account. Okay, yes, so, it could be used. Yes, it could be used in that yeah. way um, for a block. Yeah, so basically, it's an RSS to Twitter converter. Yeah, but I think they also do RSS to Facebook now as well. So ah. I don't know if that works for pages. I think it only goes to status updates. So yeah, this you... is the problem with, with, with Facebook. Page updates are tricky. Yeah, but ignoring all that stuff, this is brilliant as well. That If you've got your blog, you've got your Twitter account, mm. you can automatically um, tweet stuff into that account. I would never recommend having a Twitter account that's just feeds. You need to interact with people. You need to build relationships. But sometimes you don't want to go, okay, I've remembered I've done that blog post that I scheduled two weeks ago I need to cut and paste that in and mention it so it's quite good for those kind of things in the background that you know you're doing you just want to share with people really 
What's your opinion, Kelvin, on this sort of um, scattergunning approach where, for example, you do a blog post, it automatically appears in Twitter, automatically appears on a Facebook page. Do you have an, a, a definite one way or the other opinion on that? Um, I mean, it's nothing more annoying than when you follow someone on three or four different networks and you suddenly get the same message in three or four places at once. Mm. So generally, I recommend avoiding... Um, avoiding automation try and make it personal and realistic but on the flip side i know that everyone's busy they can't you know go and update all of these the way i tend to do it personally and i think this makes sense is knowing your audience on those networks yeah. so yeah. the thing is on facebook you've probably got you you know you might have your mum, you've got your sister you've got your cousins you've got you know the bloke you used to go to uni with you've got the bloke you go down the pub with do they really care about your latest blog post if the answer is no you shouldn't be updating with your facebook status with that if your Twitter account you use to keep in contact with people from your industry, then it makes a bit more sense to promote what you're doing on there. But I always try to try and make it obvious that it's your own link, you know, so it's kind of, you know, you know, personal plug, you know, because in Twitter feed they allow you to add little bits to the beginning or the end so you could say from yeah. my blog, da da da, and that kind of thing. I, it's difficult because, you know, wherever you've got an audience, you want to get your content there. But I think anything that makes you seem like a robot, makes you less personal and people like people they don't like robots do they so oh, absolutely it's, yeah. it's a, a you know pros and cons you know if it saves you a lot of time and helps you avoid missing things there's a pro to that but there's going to mm. be a con that it's not a, not a real tweet is it and people can tell because when when they get their you know status updates it tells you where it comes from yes so you can you can see it's quite interesting when you see people who you think are real people but they're actually you look and it's coming coming via the, um, the Twitter feed. So actually they've scheduled all these um, you know updates in advance, which is kind of fair play to them. If they can make it seem like they're a real person there, then you know fair play. But on the flip side, you kind of want to make it real, don't you? But social media is all about transparency and being real, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. So mm-hmm. Twitter feed's great to you know do some heavy lifting, but it shouldn't be the be all and end all of your account. So I would say never yeah. have more than sort of maybe 10, 15% of your tweets all automated. Yeah. Or at least, you know, or, you know, automatic retweets of stuff that you've kind of done automatically. I think there's a place for it, but don't make mm. it all that your account is. Yeah, I think that's a, a subject for, for possible later discussion. Yeah. Uh, that was number seven. What's number eight? Number eight is a tool called Noam, um, which is basically no as in I know you and M as in E-M. Um, and what this does is a... You put in your brand name or your personal name, mm. and it searches hundreds of social media sites to see if that name is available. And the benefit of this is, one, that it helps you find out if someone's pretending to be you, which is, you know, really bad news. Or, you know, B, it helps you register all those now so no one else can pretend to be you in the future. So okay. say, you know, say you're, you know, Bob's swimming pools. You don't want, um, you know... You, your main competitor registering that one and saying horrible things about you or registering it so you can't get it. And so if you go to the site, you put in your username and it will search hundreds of these sites and tell you if it's registered or if it's not. And if it's not registered, it takes you through quickly to, um, you know, set up your own account there. So really, It sounds a little bit like How Sociable. Yeah, it's like How Sociable, but it seems Mm. to... um, it's a bit wider of the reach in terms of it, it queries more sites than um, than, yeah, yeah, than House Social. And I mean, the thing that how Noam make money is they do this, but then actually, if you want them to, you can pay them and they'll set up all the accounts for you. Okay. So they provide the tool for free. 
you know, classic freemium model here. They provide the tool for free. You can then do it yourself. Or if you want to save time, they'll do it for you for, you know, three or four hundred dollars or how much it is. I don't know whether it's worth the money to register all those accounts and get them to pay for it. It might be depending on how busy you are. But yeah. it's worth having a look just to see if anyone's pretending to be you or whether there's any sites you thought you'd register an account for. But you- Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's better help. H E L P. Don't. Okay. Brilliant. Number nine. Number nine. Um, this is, I don't know how you pronounce this. I've only ever seen it written down. It's Omgili. Um, so it's O M G I L I. And this is a search engine for forums. So it's pretty straightforward. But if you want to find out where people are having discussions about your, your niche or niche to our American friends, mm. uh, where they're talking about you in forums, you can do that so google's really terrible they've got their blog search they've got their you know image search they do all them really well i don't know why they've never done a forum search mm. um where it only searches forums and you know that's really great for finding those so that's a really useful from a practical point of view because I, I don't know if you've ever done this andy when you're trying to find out about like i i never buy anything online without looking at reviews for it but if you type in something review you just get all those kind of review sites that don't really have reviews so mm. what i've Tended to start doing so if i'm looking to buy a new camera i'll put in you know cool pics 7459 or whatever it is forum because i want to find people who are you know really interested in it that they're talking about it in a forum yes and then hear what their opinion is so this is quite good for that as well just kind of from a non-business perspective if you want to find out what people are talking about something you're going to buy have a look on some jelly I wonder how Omjelly knows that a page is a forum. I mean, you could do it. You know, the way I would go about doing it if I was building one of these search engines is there's only five or six um, sort of wet, you know, in the same way you've got blogging platforms, there's only five hmm. or six forum platforms. So you've got PHP, BB, yeah, you've got, um, you know, I've been using the, the WordPress one, BB Press, which I rate really highly as well. So there's only about 
you know, a dozen or so of these. So you could probably quite easily determine what the footprints are of those kind of CMSs. Yeah. Then query Google or someone to find all those, and then that becomes your kind of your basis of search results. They might be doing something a lot more complicated than that, but that's how I'd go about doing it if I was setting one up. So that's on Jilly. What's number yes. ten? Number ten is SpyFu. Um, which Ends is, in uh, foo. Yes, yeah. Um, so that's spy, like James Bond, followed by fu. Um, oh, fu, not foo. Right, okay. What does spy foo do? It started out, and it's got a lot more functionality in this now. But essentially, it tells you where your competitors are getting their traffic from and how much they're paying for their paperclip. So if you, you know, oh, you know, this guy's really spending a fortune on paperclip, but I don't know where he's actually getting his traffic from, or are they actually spending a fortune on paperclip? I don't know. You put in your name or your competitor's name or your keywords and it will give you a snapshot of how much they're spending. So it's really good if you know that you've never done any pay-per-click in the past but you've got no idea how much money you need to spend. Like how much am I going to have to invest in this? But you know that a competitor is doing pay-per-click. You can put in their name and it will give you a nice estimate of how much they're spending and how much you might need to spend to get the same kind of level of exposure. So it estimates... Yeah, it is an estimate, and it's what, with all these ones, it's always, you know, you have to take the results with a pinch of salt, but yes. it's a really good place to start. SpyFu, I like the name. Yeah, no, it's a good one. And um, it's, got, it's got some nice graphics there as well. They keep the Spy theme going throughout there, so all of their icons and their fonts and adverts and all those kind of things. What's number 11? Number 11. It's not one I've used um, personally here, but actually one that um, I was talking to Helen in the run-ups of the show about, and she recommended using. Mm. Um we, you know, we kind of talk a lot about the various internet marketing tools that you use online, but actually forget that quite often you need to create an image or you need to create you know, a banner ad or you need to create something like that. And you know, not everyone can afford to buy a license of Photoshop because it, you know, it's pricey or, you know, or, or know someone who's got a dodgy copy that they've sent to them. Um, but there's GIMP, which is kind of an open source version, which do, you know, ah, does 90, 90% of the stuff um, that, that Facebook can do, but for you know, no real cost there. So, yeah. Have a look at that and see yeah, what it's, it's uh, GIMP is like an open source equivalent of, of Photoshop Elements. Would that be a fairly good way of describing it? Yeah, I think that I think that's yeah. fair enough. Yeah, mm. and yeah, you've not got the, the huge fee of you know Photoshop that you've got there, yeah. so yeah. it allows you to kind of like play about with some images, and that's really important because people forget. You know, you can write your blog post, and um, you know if you've got no images there, it's kind of a bit dull looking. So always put an image in a blog post. The other thing I like doing as well, I've been doing a bit of this recently. Um, for clients and the like is if you write a blog post that's going to get you x amount of attention but if you make that a presentation suddenly that blog post you know you put it on slideshare suddenly it's a lot more interesting yeah you know it could have exactly the same content but because you know what not many people make the effort to do that suddenly your same piece of content's 100 times more interesting 100 times more viral so you know i've been doing that so i use photoshop but it essentially is the same so i'll make Rather than just use PowerPoint and kind of have some horrible fonts, I'll find a really nice image on um, Creative Commons that I can use and then overlay some text on that. So it's a nice square image, cool picture, cool text, and then put that in a PowerPoint and you've got a series of those and you've got a presentation. So, yeah, I, like, I think probably you know Photoshop is one of my most used pieces of software on my site and I'm not a graphic designer by any stretch of the imagination. Sure. So, I, you know, but not everyone can afford or has photoshop so gimp's like a great alternative to that right we'll put a link to that in the show notes and what is number 12 number these are in no particular order i take it yeah they are in no particular order. i could have come up with my top ones but i kind of done it in reverse so the first ones were the ones in, in true x factor style yeah <laughs> to build up the tension no, drama, no particular order 
And back after the break, I'll tell you what number twelve. No, uh, <laughs> no, no breaks in the podcast. But no, the final one is actually one we mentioned um, last week um, when talking about last week. Sorry, last month when we were talking about email marketing platforms with Dan, and it's called Mailchimp. Uh, ah, Dan likes yeah. Mailchimp, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, no. Dan and Helen both love it, and I, I really do as well. And essentially, what what they do is they'll let you have the first five hundred people on your mailing list for free. So it doesn't cost you anything to use. It's only when you get over that 500 people, it starts costing you money. And actually, you know, how many people do you have on your mailing list? It's probably not that many. So to be able to mass email and get all the tracking and, you know, and do all that kind of thing to under under 500 people for no money, it's just mm. really, really powerful. That is and, impressive. I mean, email marketing, you know, it's not, you know, not as exciting as social media and all these other different affiliate marketing and all these kind of things you can do. But it works. If you do email marketing right, it will generate money for a business. So to, to be able to do that with no real capital investment is brilliant because then you can, you know, if you're a marketer and you've got to justify your spend to your boss, he's not giving you any money to do it, do it for free with MailChimp. And then when you can, you can show him, well, and this sale came from it and that sale came from it or we had this number of leads or the phone run this many times, you can then say, well, actually, we need to spend a bit more money on this or give me a pay rise so I can you know, do this more regularly or, yeah. you know, send me off to go on a course on email marketing so I can learn how to do this full time and get some better things. So it's a great way to kind of test the water on these things. Does it have all the features of things like, you know, a Weber and get response? And um, I mean, I don't, yeah, I think that, you know, it's to a certain extent with anything where you pay more for it, you would expect that you get more for it. But MailChimp is, you know, it's fully functional. It's not like a, you know, you know, useless piece of software that you only use because it's free you know lots of people use it and pay for it because it's that valuable it's you know with any of these tools there's you know pros and cons price is going to be a big part of it but there's also functionality there's also which one are you most experienced in and all these kind of things and there's you know benefits to all of them but Mm. to be able to try it for free is you know pretty compelling and you know it makes sense for them to do that as well because that's their you know their usp versus these other ones is you've got to pay money up front and not everyone wants to take that risk so yeah well kelvin 12 really useful tools there for the 12 days of christmas now new year is coming upon us soon and a bit of exciting news you've finally um bagged that interview with Seth haven't you yes yeah I mean it's been been a long time coming unfortunately after the huge technical problems that I had and then he had to work on his new book so that took up a lot of his time but yeah Mm. we're very lucky to have probably the most successful business and marketing writer of the last decade um, Seth Godin interviewed in the next show so I've talked to him about his um, new book um, the what he's you know you know his more general opinion on internet marketing and you know how he goes about and who who he looks to for inspiration online so mm. you know it was a really in-depth interview some really interesting things we're putting that together and that'll be coming out the um the tail end of january so yeah make sure you you know if you don't already subscribe to the show make sure you do so you get that as yeah. soon as it comes out mr seth godin and i think that's it isn't it any bits of news or anything else you want to tell us about before um, we sign off well, I mean, there is the one the one huge bit of news is real-time search over the last couple of days that, um, right. you know, from a search perspective, Google are now starting to show Twitter results, um, you know, in, in their news results. I don't think this is going to last forever. In fact, actually, I reckon by the time a lot of people listen to this, they might well have rolled that back a bit because it's just getting spammed to death. Oh, but, really? Um, right. Yeah, I mean, it, you effectively give someone, um, you know, how hard is it to get to number one for, for a term? And if... You know, real hard effort, real investment, you know, to do that. But now if someone could just tweet that and keep doing it every two seconds and then be right. number one result for that, that, you know, it's getting all kinds of spam. There. So I, they either need to refine it so they only show people who are trusted 
or mm. they need to take it away. They kind of rolled it out because they were scared that everyone else was doing real-time search a bit more than them. And I think it was, you know, it might come back to to bite um, Google in the bum on that one. So yeah, there's lots of people who've written out there, written about it. There's, you know, we've done a post about it, linking out to some of the best ones on the site. This blog. So if anyone wants to look at that site, visibility.co.uk forward slash blog um but have a look on search engine land as well they've done some interesting stuff on it as well so yeah that's that's the real big news but actually i it's a hard one because it's well it's such big news that everyone's talked about it to such an extent i don't think i can add anything new to it <laughs> but um, no. but but yeah no definitely worth um knowing about if you haven't already picked up, up on that okay well look let us to sign off and then after the break we'll roll that interview that uh, i did with ian oswald of procasts the uh, screen casting experts and how you can use screen casting in your marketing. So it's goodbye from me, Andy White. And goodbye from me, Kelvin Newman. Have a great Christmas, folks, and uh, interview with Ian Oswald coming up after the jingle. All the best. Well, I'm sitting here with Mr. Ian Oswald. Uh, Ian, thanks for joining us again on Internet Marketing. Hello again, Andy. Thanks for having me. Now, a lot of water has passed under the bridge, hasn't it, in the, in the sort of um, screen casting world. And I just thought we'd uh, have you in again just to uh, give some, uh, some tips and advice on people that are perhaps thinking of using screen casting probably mainly as a, as a marketing tool. Absolutely. Um, Quite a lot has changed uh, in the field. There's certainly more software available. There are easier ways to start up for free and to progress to, uh, to better quality editing software. Uh, and so, yes, I think a, a catch-up is in order for using screencasting for marketing. I know there's a lot of people out there that are probably have been thinking about screencasting as a great way of uh, either marketing perhaps a website or some sort of software tool that they've done. What's the, because um, I suspect they probably don't know where to start, what's the easiest way sort of to make a first screencast? So uh, this is one of the questions that I'm asked uh, by uh, people who want to get into screencasting, particularly small to medium-sized companies who've never tried it before. There are some great free packages out there, and one that uh, is well-known is called Jing from TechSmith. That's spelled J-I-N-G. And uh, on my blog for the handbook that I'm writing about screencasting, I've got a video that shows you, it's just on the blog, uh, shows you how to get started uh, and make your first screencast within 30 minutes with Jing. Uh, and there'll be a, a link to that uh, that we can, uh, I can, I've got a, a write-up which uh, we'll link to later on. Yeah, we've actually got a tinyurl link, haven't we, mm, to that yes, of course. particular blog post, which is tinyurl.com slash imscreencast. So if you just go along to that, you'll see Ian, Ian's done a post with various links and bits and bobs in that we're talking about. Is that the only one, Ian, Jing? I have heard of Jing. Uh, no, it's not the only one. Uh, and I know that you've uh, used it for some of your screencasting already. And it's, uh, it's yeah. just a nice package. It works on Windows and Mac. Uh, you download it, it starts to run, and then it records the screen, and then it pipes the video online into some free storage, which you can embed into your site. So it's super easy to get started with it. But also on Windows, uh, BB Flashback from uh, the BB Corporation, they've released a free version of their software, which is great for recording. It hasn't got editing in the free version that's in the pro version uh, but with the free version you can record any part of the screen including moving video and then automatically uh, upload the video to youtube or save it as an avi and on uh, on the macintosh with snow leopard the uh, quicktime pro is now included for free and that includes a screen recording facility so you can make screencasts with quicktime pro mm. and and uh, with jing you can also upgrade for 15 dollars between either platform and uh, there you get some extra features including the ability to download an 
an MP4 video at the end of recording, which you can then edit uh, on the Mac, for example, with uh, iMovie and those kind of applications. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I'm a Mac user, but I haven't actually upgraded to Snow Leopard yet. I think people are slowly moving over, aren't they? It's worth knowing that there's actually a, a sort of a, a sort of built-in facility there for screencasting. It's quite exciting, I think, because it opens up the world of screencasting to every Mac user. Mm. So many people can begin to experiment and uh, just see how it works for free. Just actually, I've just realised it's probably a good idea for, for me as the presenter to explain what a screencast is as opposed to a video. It's basically uh, where you're showing what's happening on your screen. So you're not sort of, it's not like a normal video where it might be some people or some sort of external shot. It's actually showing what's happening on your screen. It's a way of capturing what you're doing on your screen uh, so you can show people later. Now, I know that with a lot of these sort of beginning type bits of software, such as Jing and that, it's it's nice and easy, but you you don't necessarily have the ability to edit, do you, Ian? I mean, what if, what if you want to go to the next stage and sort of be able to edit what you've captured on your screen? And editing is absolutely crucial to produce uh, a nicely finished video. Um, with the free packages, typically you can't do any editing. That's the limitation. Um, by upgrading to uh, better software, you get the ability to edit. And normally that means that the basics, you can cut out frames that aren't necessary. So areas where either you've made a mistake or you've just paused to gather your thoughts and take a breath. And you just need to cut out those few seconds. Uh, and more powerful editing includes applying zooms uh, and panning around the screen. So you can record a large screen and then zoom in to focus the user's attention on just the things that really matter. And also fading between different scenes. So you can record scenes independently and stitch them together uh, and also applying text annotations on screen so you can back up what you're discussing and showing with on-screen text uh, or visuals uh, which just help back up the message uh, and use uh, different modalities to explain the concept to the user. Um, On Windows uh, Camtasia is probably the best package it's the most fully featured Um, that costs uh, I believe around 300 US dollars and from BB Flashback their pro version is around 100 UK pounds. Uh, It's not quite as fully featured as Camtasia but it's uh, it's pretty good it's not a bad bit of software at all uh, and on the Mac there are two main contenders there's ScreenFlow 2 and there's the recently launched Cam, uh, Camtasia from TechSmith um, both packages have a similar feature set and a similar price point of around 100 US dollars uh, and both are very capable packages uh, and uh, the one thing that's uh, missing in this uh, is the world of Linux screencasting. Uh, it's quite young, but it's growing up. There, uh, I believe there is at least one commercial package, but there's certainly the free Record My Desktop and a few nice open source editors, including KDN Live and Pitivy. Um, both have a little learning curve, but if you're using uh, Unix software, then uh, those packages are pretty good uh, for recording what you need. I remember earlier, actually, uh, Ian, before we started this interview, you were showing me some stats, weren't you, of... Uh what people are using screencasting for. What, what, what do they reveal? What are, what are most people using screencasting for? Mm, and so um, I gathered those stats for the screencasting handbook that I'm writing, and I wanted to make sure that I was presenting the right topics to the readers of the handbook. So I asked them all, um, were they making homepage demo videos, or were they making videos that went onto a product tour page, or both uh, topics there for marketing, or were they making tutorial videos? And it turns out the majority, 80% of the people interested in the handbook, are making tutorial 
or videos, but roughly 40% are making one or the other kind of marketing video. Uh, and that's because it's being increasingly recognized that having uh, a one to three minute demo uh, on your homepage or in the tour that shows the software in action shows you exactly why you should use it, which problem it's solving. So you know straight away that this uh, this software does solve the problem that you've got. There's no point searching elsewhere and trying to figure out if a competitor solution does the job. But this one, it really does. It. You can see it. Uh, it's quite clear that video is a great way to get that message across. Now, you mentioned one to three minutes there. Is that, is, is that presumably the ideal sort of length you should be aiming for for a sort of marketing screencast? For a marketing video, absolutely. Um, some people uh, end up running a feature tour uh, and they try to uh, list all of the points that the software covers and they take five, 10, 15 minutes sometimes mm. just listing each point uh, and that's the wrong way to go. Really, you want to give a short demo. The shorter, the better, because people have short attention spans. One minute is ideal, but normally a bit too short to give a compelling demo. Three minutes is about the maximum attention you're going to get from about 80% of your viewers. So you want to keep your video under three minutes. Um, and in that, you want to show, really, you want to show a nice story. So walk the user through something that's relevant to their problem, showing what the problem is and how you solve it, and then telling the user how to get started afterwards with your software. So everything they need to know is answered in those three minutes. Now, moving on to the audio side of things, which is, of course, something I'm, I'm, I'm quite used to, because I'm not really a video person, I'm an audio person. Are there any special sort of things you think about in terms of what you're saying, sort of the narration of the, of the video? Any, any tips there? Mm, That's an interesting question. Scripting is very, very important. So you need to think about the script beforehand uh, Mm. and you need to be always uh, taking away as much jargon as possible so that you are talking in a clear language that your user will understand. So jargon-free, speaking slowly and clearly as you would do for a podcast because many of your viewers could be elsewhere in the world uh, and maybe they haven't got your language as their primary language. And that's why it's also useful in the video to back up the message on screen with either subtitles or text annotations because Mm -hmm. they help foreign language speakers to understand the message that's coming across. And of course you want uh, a nice microphone with a, a decent uh, audio setup and then the blog post that you'll find at uh, tinyurl.com slash imscreencast right, yeah. uh, I link to three videos that Andy made recently for his book uh, Podcasting Unleashed uh, and in these three videos they're just in a blog post and they show three microphones uh, in action uh, along with some audio technique for each of them and if you don't know a lot about audio technique and how different microphones work or in the 50 to 300 pound range of microphones Phones, then it's uh, very worthwhile taking a look at Andy's videos because uh, they really do just make it very, very clear. Yeah, it's worth looking at those actually because it's surprising, isn't it? Especially when we talk about the uh, what I what I call my my high end mic, which is the SE Electronics. Actually, it does have a definite front and back, and that's true also of a couple of other condenser mics, including the uh, the Samson CO1U. So definitely take a look at those because it's a good idea. To, it'll it'll save you literally hours of. of trial and error like I did when I first well, tried Well, and uh, better than saving you hours of trial and error, it'll save you from unpacking your lovely new SE2200 mic, as I did. I've got the one down from Andy's. Uh, and then being incredibly disappointed at the flat and uh, just, just very boring sound uh, before you, uh, you go and tell somebody like Andy, who then says, have you got it the right way round? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on swiftly. I'm interested in the, the sort of... When you're doing a tour of a piece of software, if you're trying to explain mm-hmm. someone... How do you do a tour of software? Should it be sort of like, you know, sort of a straight feature tour or are there some 
tips and techniques so for doing that. Definitely problem. avoid that feature too. Um, certainly, there are plenty of videos online which are which are basically uh, a voiceover applied to a PowerPoint, and they're awful. They they they're just monotonous, um, and the speaker clearly hasn't thought about the needs of the end viewer. What do you want to be doing? Assume you've got ten of your key new users in the room. They're sitting in front of your laptop. You can't talk directly to them, so you can't ask them questions, but you can narrate towards them, and you've got three minutes. What are you going to say that really captures their attention whilst uh, demonstrating on screen? Mm. And if you can explain your software in three minutes to this audience, uh, imagine they're sitting behind um, a one-way mirror, so you can't see if they're smiling or frowning, if they're nodding, or if they're walking out on you. You've got three minutes. You've got to give that demo. What's the right demo that you would give to this audience, the most compelling, featureful uh, demo? One that always springs to mind for me, uh, it's uh, if you're a software developer and you know Ruby on Rails, then um, about uh, I think about five years ago, uh, Ruby on Rails um, came to the fore, and it came to the fore because uh, one of the creators um, created a uh, make a blog in 15 minutes uh, video, and this was a live demo showing how to code up an entire blog in uh, the Ruby on Rails system in just 15 minutes. Now, 15 minutes—that's awfully long for a marketing video. You'd never do that, but showing this to programmers who would know that this could take up to a week to create another programming language. Languages, they just sat there in awe. I sat there in awe mm. for 15 minutes watching this, thinking, you can't do it that quickly. That's that. impossible. And it was an absolutely yep. amazing video. And it was just done off the cuff. He just sat there and talked through what he was doing whilst he coded this up. It was a beautiful live demo, full of the right context and full of the right story, telling me exactly what I needed to know. Now, would you have, because I know time is, is, is moving on, we need to be quite brief, three top tips for people embarking on, on screencasting, some other tips, perhaps the three top tips you could give? Okay, first top tip would be to always uh, always think about the needs of the end user. So if you're not uh, addressing their needs, then they're never going to care about your video. It doesn't matter how polished it is. So you have to think about who your viewer is, um, what their needs are, uh, what their experience is, and then make sure you craft the shortest, clearest demo for them. Uh, the second tip would be uh, you've considered the needs of the viewer and uh, to make now you want to make the clearest and most compelling demo for them. So you want to practice beforehand. So run through the software a couple of times and just make sure you're telling the right story and then uh, just draft out a rough script. It could be a few lines on paper. It could be that you've written down every line of the narration, but get that all planned and on paper. Uh, and then the third tip um, make sure you've got a really nice audio setup. If you're making marketing videos, you cannot have uh, poppy, crackly sound. You can't have uh, you can't have uh, the sound of birds flying around outside and uh, planes buzzing past and people talking. You certainly can't have street noises and the like. They're fine in tutorials. You can get away with that. But in a marketing video, you need to have a nice microphone, a quiet recording environment, a soft and well-measured voice, just to give you a really nice, clear, professional narration track. Now, just to finish off, uh, do tell us about, I know that you're writing a book, The Screencasting Handbook, and mm -hmm. I know that you've also got a very useful resource, a Google group here, and tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so the, the Screencasting Handbook has grown out of my professional screencasting company. I've had many companies come to me to say that they want to produce their own videos, but they needed to, uh, they needed to learn the skills themselves, and so I decided to write a handbook on the subject. So if you visit thescreencastinghandbook.com, you'll find uh, the, the homepage explaining what's in the book, and 
uh, the, the handbook I'm writing it at the moment, it'll be finished early 2010. The aim is to teach you everything you need to know about making any kind of screencast, uh, be it for tutorials or marketing or product support, anything that uh, you need, along with some other uh, interesting uses of screencasting. It covers Windows, Mac and Linux, um, free software, paid for software, and lots of things like workflow technique. What's the most efficient way to work and what's the best way to set up your recording environment so you're recording cleanly and quickly and you can produce uh, nice and fast. Um, one thing that uh, always bothered me with books is that it's very hard to get help uh, when you can't reach the author or anyone else who's reading the book. So I set up a Google group and that's free to join. So if you've got any screencasting questions, come to the Screencasting Handbook website uh, and have a look for the Google group. You'll find over 100 screencasters in there on different platforms. Just join the group, it's free of charge, uh, and then ask your questions in there and uh, we'll help you move on with your screencasting questions. That's terrific. Ian Oswald of The Screencasting Handbook, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much, Andy. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Now, we would really like to hear from you, so if you have any questions or comments, send them to info at ai-digital.com and feel free to send in MP3 files as well and we'll play them. If you're a subscriber, we'd like to thank you for your valuable time. If you haven't subscribed yet and you'd like this show delivered to your earbuds automatically, you can find Internet Marketing on iTunes. Just search under the Business and Marketing and Management categories. Or you can find us at Feedburner at feeds.feedburner.com slash academyim. We'd also encourage you to leave comments on iTunes. Well, this is Andy White signing off, wishing you the best until we see you next time on Internet Marketing. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.